Uh, this morning, we're going to kind of set the stage for next week. Uh, next week is Pentecost, so I'm going to kind of give you the, 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 the Jesus kind of introduction, uh, the end of the Gospel of uh, Luke, chapter 24. Luke writes two big books in the New Testament. He writes the Gospel of Luke that covers the life, death, resurrection of Jesus, and then the ending, and then it co- he, he writes uh, the book of Acts, which kind of picks up uh, the work of the Spirit after Christ ascends to heaven. Acts 2 is where we'll be next week. It's a chapter, the whole chapter is about the coming of the Holy Spirit. It's really powerful, and I hope that we have a, a great, now the Lord may not wait till next week. He may do something this week in your heart, and that'll be a good thing, but we're going to set the stage for the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, and, and there, there's more. You know, at salvation, we receive Christ, which is a miracle. He forgives us. He sets us free. He breaks the powers of darkness. He breaks strongholds in our life. He severs us from the enemy. It's the name of Jesus, and he brings that authority. And that salvation is wonderful. And the Holy Spirit comes to live in us. But the good news is that's just the beginning. There's more. So we sang in that last song. It's a, it's a beautiful song. I think the youth of you guys have been doing it up at, at Nova. On, on Why do you guys save the good stuff and don't share it with us? And so <clears throat> we got to, we got, we'll sing that one again at the end of service. Um, but So I want to go with me to the end of the gospel. Luke. This is after Christ was crucified. After he was raised from the dead, he showed himself alive to his disciples. Remember, Peter had denied him, and he had shame on him, and the Lord broke that shame off of him. These are his last kind of marching orders, and I want to read them to you, uh, and we're going to go from the end of Luke to the beginning of Acts, and then we're going to go to the Old Testament. So let's start in Luke 24, where Christ is appearing. He's explaining the scriptures in the Old Testament to his disciples, opening their eyes, as he will do, showing him that the Bible is about Jesus. And if you don't see Jesus in the Bible, then you're missing the Bible in every phase of it. So chapter 24, verse 45. Then he opened their minds so that they could understand the Scriptures, and which is the only way you'll understand. You can read the Bible, and there are people that know more about the Bible in Israel when, when you go. There are guides that know this Bible better than I do, but they don't know the God that wrote it. They don't have a personal relationship. So head knowledge is not the goal. It's heart knowledge. It's growing in a relationship. So Jesus opens their understanding. Verse 46, he told them this is what was written. The Christ will suffer, rise from the dead on the third day. Repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached. In other words, it's about a new beginning. It's a new Lord. It's a, it's a, a severance from the past. That's why baptism is so essential because it's that, that marker where you put the flag in the ground and say the past is past and I've got a new beginning by the power of a new life in Jesus. He said, You'll preach this message to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. Verse 48, you are witnesses of these things. In other words, you're, you're it. You're my representatives. If it stops with you, it stops. And the church has been growing throughout thousands of years by one means. That's other believers being the hands and feet of Jesus in his strength and being his witness, his light to other people sharing the good news, which is an overwhelming task. 
And it's meant Jesus is meaning to overwhelm them, I believe, right here. He's meaning to let them know this is a difficult thing, um, a big assignment. You're gonna, I'm going to leave, and you're going to still be here. And I'm going to give you a difficult assignment. And you're not up for it, but I have something that will help you be up for it. And that's what he says in verse 49. I'm going to send you what my Father has promised, but stay in the city until you've been clothed with power from on high. We'll come back to this in a minute. I love the imagery here. Clothed. You're going to put something on. It's going to make you different. You're still you, but you'll be equipped with something that's far beyond what you're able to bring to the table. Then in verse 50, he leads them out in the vicinity of Bethany. He lifts his hands. He blesses them. While he was blessing them, he left them and was, say it with me, taken up. This is the ascension that if we were a liturgical church, we would have celebrated this past uh, Thursday, I believe. Could be wrong on that. Anyway, obviously we didn't. And uh, we did celebrate Jesus and, uh, on Thursday and preach this word as we do every Thursday at dinner church. But he says, don't, don't leave the city. Not out of fear, but out of preparation. There's something coming. Jesus is, it's kind of like Christmas is right around the corner. You better watch out. <laughs> now, that's not what he said. He's better, but, but be expectant. Something good's coming. It's part of your inheritance. And then he lifts his hands. Verse 50, uh, 50 he, he blesses them he, and like a priest, the high priest. He's taken up. They worship. They return to Jerusalem with great joy. And they stayed continually in the temple praising God. Now, he picks right back up, skip the Gospel of John, one more book, the book of Acts, chapter 1. We'll be in chapter 2 next week, but chapter 1, he's, Luke's bringing them back, same, same timetable, but this is resurrected Jesus living among his disciples for 40 days, which is pretty powerful. Doesn't say much about it. I'm like, these are the things that's like, really, Lord? You gave six whole chapters to a big windbag named Elihu in the book of Job. Six chapters. The guy's an arrogant windbag. I don't care what he's got to say. I don't like him. Why couldn't you have just given us one chapter about what you did in your resurrected body for 40 days? God's never been about a show. He's never been about, let me just wow you. God woos us with invitations. So Luke jumps in. This is, again, tying in to the last words of Jesus. Let's just jump in at verse 4. On one occasion, he was eating with him. Stop there. What? I circled that in my Bible, being that I obviously like to eat. Uh, that might be why the vineyard eats at everything we do. I don't know. could be me. I'm just saying. I've had a little impact on the church. Not much, but I've had some, some impact on putting on some pounds on people. That's our, our ministry here. But we eat at everything we do. Well, I love this because it's Jesus' resurrected body. It's the body he's going to heaven in, and he's still eating. That's hopeful. That's hopeful. And so this is, this is Jesus' last few words, same thing we read in Luke. And he says to them, he gives them this command, don't leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised. Same same. Imagery, same words that Luke records at the end of the gospel. He's just bringing us back up. Now, verse 5. For John baptized 
with water, but in a few days you're going to be baptized with the Holy Spirit, which means more than being a Christian, it means you're a Christian that gets his inheritance or her inheritance of the power of the Holy Spirit. That, that This is what you're, you're going to get clothed with the equipment that you need to do what he asks you to do. Verse 6, they want to argue theology with him. And now, well, when's the kingdom coming? And he just basically says, that's none of your business. Uh, verse 7, he says, it's not for you to know the days or time. So when you get people all jacked up and they act like they know when Jesus is coming back, just read those two verses to them and say, shut up. You don't know anything. You don't. You could, they say it could be soon. Sure could. Could be another thousand years. What are you going to do with that? You better go plant a tree. You better fight for the unborn. You better raise your kids to be world changers. We're not just going out in a bolt of lightning and a rapture escapism. If that's your theology, then straighten it out. Jesus is coming. We don't know when. He gave us a job to do. Our job isn't to tell people that it's going to be soon. Our job is they need Jesus. For some people, tonight might be your night. This might be the soon tonight. There's no promise of tomorrow. We want people to be right with God now, not because someday he's going to snatch us out. We want to do our mission now that we're in the middle of our mission and he interrupts us, and I'm all good with that. But I don't want to be the kind of people that we go sit on a mountaintop and we wait on Jesus to come back. That's not what he's called us to do. So he says, listen, wait for Just wait, but you're waiting for, for an enabling, a power. He says, wait in Jerusalem. Now, verse 8 is the key verse of the whole book of Acts. He says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, not in you. You've already been saved. You've already, he's breathed on him and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Every Christian has the Holy Spirit. Don't confuse that. But not every Christian has been filled with the power of the Spirit. Not every Christian has tapped into their inheritance of the Holy Spirit. He says, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth, or as he says in Matthew, to all nations, or Luke, he says, to all nations. Now, this imagery, clothed when the Holy Spirit has come upon I want to give you a story that I believe Jesus was alluding to through both of these sections of Scripture. If you want to go with me, if you're following in your Bibles, we're going to be in 2 Kings. Now, the kings are a lot about the prophets. 1 Kings, the main prophet in that story was the prophet Elijah, J-A-H, E-L-I-J-A-H. So a lot of people get them confused. It's easy if you're dyslexic. I can get things back, but... But think of it this way, Elijah, Jah, like Jehovah, the, the senior. He's the senior, Elijah. He's the one that, that challenges Jezebel and Ahab. He's the one that calls fire down on the prophets of Baal. I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a spiritual conflict. We have them every Sunday. We don't call fire down on people. We call the name of Jesus down on people. And we want people to be set free. We're not in here to play a religious game at the vineyard. We want people to know God, follow God, not hide their sin. We want people to come and come be honest with God. And Elijah called them to be honest. Those that wanted to walk with God missed the fire. Those that didn't were burned up. And, and he goes on and he does some miraculous stuff. Then he has a downfall. He has a collapse. He, he goes into major depression. 
suicidal, and he prays to die, and, and so he's human. As, as the book of James says he's a man who is just like us. And so that's where the Bible's always saying, you can do this. Not by your power. When Elijah knew the power of God had been lifted, he, he saw how emaciated he was. He was unable to do anything. So Elijah, while he's doing these different miracles, he's building a team of prophets. He's growing a church of prophets. And along the way, he comes up on this farmer named Elisha. Elisha's just plowing. And Elijah, back then they had a big hairy I meant to bring, I have a great sheepskin at home, and I forgot it. So, so I got a, a towel, so it's a tacky illustration. But we'll pretend this is a, a, a wool, camel's hair, sheepskin, bear, like a, you know, a Daniel Boone, Jeremiah, Jeremiah Johnson jacket, if you've ever watched Jeremiah. And uh, can you skin Grizz? You better learn. Anyway, it's a great, great movie if you never watched it. So... Elijah has this, he's known, watch out for the guy, the hairy, he'll read your mail. He calls fire down. Don't mess with him. Well, he's walking along and he sees this guy plowing and Ray, come here. And so you get to be the young Elisha, you're plowing. And he just comes out, you pretend you're young, and he whacks him. He whacks him with his mantle and he says, you're going to follow me. And he's like, well, i got to go say goodbye. Kind of like that story with Jesus. He just says, well, you're going to follow me. He goes and he kills his oxen. Kills them. That's what his income. And he burns his farm equipment. Like if you were on a John Deere. And I, you know, Jesus comes along and smacks you and says, Ray, you're going to follow me. Go burn your John Deere. That would be a hard thing to do. Uh, but so would it be burning his oxen. Thanks, buddy. You made a good Elisha. So he's, he, he, just like Jesus, when he came along to Peter and said, Peter, Peter, put those fishing nets down. That's his income. Just think about your job today, whatever you do. Jesus comes along and says, I want you to lay that down. Follow me. He didn't say follow me and I'll give you this or that. He just said, follow me. So Elisha begins to be the servant of Elijah, and he follows him for a number of years. Well, it gets time for Elijah to die. And, and there's a sense God lets him know how that God's going to come in a whirlwind and take him away. And all the other prophets know this, and Elisha's like, I'm going to lose my spiritual father. I don't want to see him go. So Elijah says, just stay here. He's kind of doing the farewell, farewell tour to the different prophet groups. And he tells Elisha, just stay here. Elisha says, I'm not leaving you. It's one of those tests, guys, that you learn about in marriage. Not every time your wife says, sure, go ahead and do that. Sometimes that's a trap. Really? You haven't learned that yet? You've got a long ways to go. Let me just help you. Not every yes is yes. It's yes if you're an idiot, but they leave out if you're an idiot part, and it's just, sure, go ahead and do that if you're an idiot. You say, how do I know? Oh, you'll learn. You'll learn. You'll learn to re-ask the question. Honey, are you sure it's okay with you on our anniversary if I go fishing with my friends? You sure that's okay? 
if you want to. Well, now it's worse. <laughs> if you want to pick the friends above her, go for it. When you get home, it's going to be a chilly night in the bedroom. You can feel the chill. Elijah's challenging him. Do you really want to, do you really want to follow after me? But he's telling him, just stay here. No. He said, no, no. So now he's getting ready to, to, to go be with the Father, and he works one last miracle. And let's jump in on the story in chapter 2 of 2 Kings and in verse uh, 7. Fifty men of the company of the prophets went and stood at a distance, facing the place where Elijah and Elisha had stopped at the Jordan. Remember the Jordan River where J- J- Joshua leads the whole nation across on dry ground? Uh, who was similarly, similar, similarly, whatever, just like, acting just like, better than that big word, acting just like Moses that led the children of Israel on dry ground across the Red Sea. And so he's standing at the same spot, probably Joshua, same spot Jesus gets baptized, by the way. Which, by the way, if you needed a motivation to get baptized, how about this? Jesus did and didn't need to. Baptism, it was a sign of forgiveness, a sign of surrender, and he didn't need to do either. He was already surrendered and already been forgiven, not, excuse me, never needed to be forgiven, and so he identified with us as sinners is why he was baptized, and he says, as I've done, he calls us to follow him, and it's part of following him. It's part of being a disciple, and so anyway, they're at the Jericho River, and Elijah at the Jericho, he takes his mantle, he rolls it up, whack, hits the water. The water's parts to the right and to the left. Now, he's reminding where the power came from. It's not my power. It's not even the mantle's power, but the mantle symbolizes it's God's power. So he's swack, and you can just see, all the prophets see this happen. Then he says to Elisha, he asks him this question in verse 9. They crossed on dry ground, and then Elijah says to Elisha, Tell me, what can I do for you before I'm taken from you? Remember the word I told you in Luke, pay attention to it? When he was taken up. Acts, when he was taken. It's four or five times in this chapter is the word take or taken. It's it's a it's a cool word. It's 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 Jesus is 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 just uh, he's he's escorted uh, into glory uh, uh, in in Luke, here it's Elijah. There's only two people in the Bible uh, that never died uh, physically. E- Enoch, who walked with God, and the Bible says he was not. Was not what? Well, he's not here anymore. He walked with God. He just kept walking. Wouldn't you like to go on a walk someday and just end it with Jesus? I, I, I can't think of a better way to take a walk. There's times I try to walk now, I feel like I'm going to go be with Jesus. The hips are gone, the knees, the ankle. It's like I'm, I'm like, oh, my gosh, the body. You know, the body is it's dying. Your body dies. And every time you sit down, your body says, okay, we're dying here. That's true. That's medically true. If you just sat there, you'd just die. Your body isn't going to say, all right, let's, get, let's come alive. Let's move. Motion's lotion. The body moves in atrophy. The minute you start sitting down. It just says, let's, okay, let's die here. I'm good to die here. You think I'm making that up, don't you? Google it when you get home. Your body is dying, and it goes into atrophy if you don't make it. If you listen to it, it'll take charge. It'll just lead you to death quicker. 
I don't know why it wants to die so quick, but it does. It's got mortality in it. It ages. And the more you age, the more you realize it. You can rebuke it. You can do whatever you want. You're going to die. I'm going to die. Elijah didn't. I'd like to go that way. That'd be all right. God just took him. God just took him. So he's about to die. So he says to Elisha, what do you want? Just like Jesus saying to the disciples, I've given you a huge assignment. What do you want? What are you going to ask for? More homes, land, and, 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 and what, do you, what do you want? The answer to those questions always define who we are. Do you want more of me is what Jesus was saying. Are you willing to wait for a promise and seek of more from me? Do you, are you satisfied with just enough of me to maybe get to heaven? Is that enough? Or do you want enough of me to hate your political, I mean, to love your political opponents? Do you want enough of me to love the opposing party? Do you want enough of me to pray for people that are idiots? Do you want enough of me? Or you just want enough of me to hate people that don't believe like you believe? What kind of religion do you want? The religion that makes me mean? There is one. It makes you just hate and feel self-righteous. I hate those wicked, evil, whatevers that disagree with you. You better be careful. might be somebody Jesus loves. You know, it got those friends of Job in really hot water when they ended up beating on Job. And God says, no, you know, that, that really makes me upset. You messed with one of my children, and you condemned him, and you hated on him. And, and, and that made me unhappy. So Elijah says, well, what do you want? And look, what, look, at, look at his answer. I love it. I've never understood this. Preached on it. God gave me just a, just a simple, somebody I was reading made a simple comment, and it just changes radically how I, how I view this. Verse 9, tell me what you want for me to do for you before I'm taken. He says, let me inherit a double portion of your spirit, Elisha replied. Now, if you understand as he did, and the law... The firstborn had the right of a double portion of the inheritance. That's just the way God designed it. Because it's, you know, the only thing I can think of is every, if you're an only child, then it doesn't apply. But firstborns break the parents in. They just do. You don't have a clue what you're doing with the first child. We were way too hard on our first child. We just were. We just overparented. Parented out of fear. You know, just... They, they got way harder treatment. The second one, yeah, it was hard. The third one, we just treated like a baby. We babied the third one. And he, oh, it's just the way it is. And she wouldn't think she was babied. I would just say, in perspective to the firstborn, she was babied because we were against everything. But there's this double. So, so first of all, understand, Elisha's asking for, I want to be your spiritual son. That's a good thing. Now, when he says for a double portion, I always thought it meant that he wanted to do more than Elijah did. Now, most people would think that. That's not what he meant. Think of it this way. I'm about to lose my spiritual mentor, father, friend, teacher, who's been an amazing man of God. I've seen him pray and shut heaven for three and a half years. I've seen him pray again, and the rain came and 
fed the crops. I've seen him challenge the prophets of Baal. I've seen him take on Jezebel. I've seen the power in this man. I'm going to need twice of whatever he had to just do some of what he did. Did you get that? That's a big difference than I want, I want, I want twice as much. It wasn't prideful. It wasn't competitive. It wasn't ambitious. It was desperate. I'm going to need twice of whatever you had to do some of what you did. Did you get it that time? Are you with me? It's humility. It's, I, doesn't that change how you view that? It's not wrong to ask for more when you know how inadequate you are and that you need more to do anything like what he did. So Jesus uses this story to illustrate the coming of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost because he tells his disciples, you wait. In other words, in that waiting, there's that, that do, do, do you, are you watching? Do you want more? Do you want to do the mission I've called you to do? Now, Elijah doesn't rebuke him for asking, which, by the way, Elijah did seven miracles. Elisha does 14. So he does do twice as much, but that wasn't the purpose of his prayer. The purpose was to just do some of what you did. I'm looking, I'm a farmer. I know how to plow. You raised the dead. I can't raise the dead. You're about to. You're about to, but it ain't going to be you. Elijah says to him in verse 10, you've asked a difficult thing. Now, that's not to discourage him. It's to sober him. When you take this mantle and you say, Jesus, I want to follow you, and I want you to clothe me with your power. Now, that's not about an experience. Many churches make it about an experience. I love experiences, by the way. Goosebumps, tears, laughing, emotions. We're made to have emotions. They're not evil. Having an experience, I've shaken in the power of God. I've fallen out in the power of God. I've laughed in the power of God. But none of that is stuff we're supposed to look for. That's never the mark. It's not the experience. It's the empowerment. And there's a big difference. You can be empowered and feel like the, the weakest, inadequate person that's ever tried to serve God. But God uses you. God empowers. It's not the feeling of being powerful. It's the enablement of doing what God has asked you to do in his strength and his joy. You can be an empowered mother, an empowered husband, an empowered construction worker. You, it, it, it's either you only got one or two choices. You're going to go to work in your power and do it your way for yourself, or you're going to go to work in his power by his strength for his glory. There's only two ways to go to work. You're going to have two kinds of marriages. You're either going to love your wife with your love, she's in trouble, or you're going to love her with Christ's love that you've been empowered by the Holy Spirit to help you be the man or woman of God that he's called you to be. I never forget a guy sitting in my office before I was going to marry him. He just, I've never had anybody be so sappy in my life. If I wasn't so young back then, I just probably got up out of the couch and just smacked him. 
But he went on, and I'm going to love her. I just, he just went on. I mean, it just drooled out of his mouth. I mean, he's going to be this. It wasn't a month later. She, I mean, I'm talking abusive. I'm talking, uh, obs- it was just, it was a nightmare. And maybe he meant all that. He probably did until she hurt his feelings. And then he became a monster because he got his feelings hurt. Instead of, Holy Spirit, I'm going to need you here. I'm going to need you. And Jesus said, I, I thought you might. That's why I've offered you an inheritance of a portion of my spirit to come and empower you to do the things I've called you to do. You've asked a hard thing. Why is it hard? Because when you pick up the mantle, you also become the enemy to those that hate that mantle. When you sign up for Jesus and get baptized, you take on the, 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 the name of the Lord Jesus. You put on Jesus. When you put Jesus on, what doesn't love Jesus doesn't love you. You'll see friends get mad at you that you didn't do anything, but all of a sudden you walked in the room and now you've got light instead of darkness. You can pretty well tell people, not being judgmental. I meet people all the time and I can tell when they're full with light. And I can tell when they're filled with darkness. I can tell when they're filled with lust. You can tell it. You can feel it. You can smell it. You can taste it. It's nasty. Jesus, can, I don't hate the person. I just say you can be set free. If you repent, if you want to hide your sin, then it will eat you alive. Jesus can set you free. And when you're a church that's calling people to Christ, you're a marked church. You know, when I wrote the book the first time, The Power of Ugly, I had no concept that there was spiritual warfare involved in it. And it, it came more after the fact in my life, probably pride and, and I don't know, ambition, whatever. But that's why this one, we're going into this. I'm, I'm apprehensive and I'm going into it with much prayer. I'm asking you to pray for us. I'm asking you. And the warfare has already started. I'm just saying. And life happens, but there's, there's timing to things and warfare. And so it'll make more sense to you uh, when I write our, our first prayer uh, request uh, tomorrow. Um, so I just say to you, it's a, don't let the difficulty stop you from pursuing what God has for you. Because there's something worse than something that's difficult. And that's death. That's something that's compromised, lukewarm, something that you're just gonna, you're gonna die in atrophy, not out of taking an assignment that challenges you, that's bigger than you, that requires God's grace for you to do. It's, it's the assignment of come Holy Spirit, make me all you want me to be, Lord. Yes, it's difficult, but difficult things, good things come out of, has it been difficult to lead a church for all these years? Yeah, really difficult. Had a young, but you know, I'll tell you things that keep you going. Had a young kid, now he's 26, showed up, full beard, didn't recognize him. He came to Jesus right over here 12, 14 years ago, 12 years ago. He told me. He said, I said yes to Jesus, you rang the bell. And I've been far from God, but I'm coming home. I wanted to weep like a baby. I was so excited. I couldn't tell him more than enough time, welcome home. He knew where home was. He knew Jesus hadn't left him. He'd left Jesus. He knew he had to come back, and he came back. He remembered Terry, our youth leader, 
because Terry was working with middle schoolers back then, and he was a middle schooler. He remembered him. He's hard to forget. He remembered him. He looked at me and said, dude, what happened to you? No, he didn't. He just said, Terry looks the same as he did. So he says, it's a difficult thing. That's okay. He says, you've asked a difficult thing. If you see, verse 10, don't miss this. If you see me when I'm taken, there's our word again, when I'm taken from you, it'll be yours. So what's the requirement here? Do you, do you think it's just physical vision that will enable him to inherit the promise? No, because there were 50 others that were just as spiritual, you could say, as Elisha. They didn't see him go up in a chariot of fire. They didn't see him. In fact, when he was gone, they were like, where is he? And Elisha's like, he's, he's, he's gone to heaven. No, no, no. We got to find his body. The bodies were sacred. He's dead somewhere. He's old. He's stumbled off. Silver alert. Go find Elijah. There's a whole nother color now. Don't even tell me what it is, but it threw me off. Was it the blue alert? All right, you got to tell me. It'll ruin the whole mess if I don't. What's a blue alert? Not silver, blue. You haven't seen this yet? You don't even know what it is either. They're just messing with us. Look for something blue. Something borrowed, something blue, something old, something new. I don't know. They're just messing. They're programming us. They're getting us ready for the AIs to come. You know, whatever. Okay. Look for the rainbow. Okay. There's a rainbow. Honey, let's find the rainbow. Give us something to do. They didn't believe he was gone, and so they went, look. They didn't see him leave. How did Elisha see him leave? One word, faith. He believed. He said, if you see me, in other words, if God does something in you and he opens your eyes, do you know at Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came, there was a lot of people around there that just thought they were drunk. They didn't see it as the power of God. There were people that missed the chariots. of They didn't see it. See, he says, if you see me, if you are that hungry, and you're believing. Because, you know, a little bit later in his ministry, he gets surrounded by an army that comes to kill him, one prophet, a whole army, because he's been telling the other king's secrets of battle. And the king's like, it's like he's been in the bedroom with me. He has, his name's Jesus, and he's in the room there, and he tells on people. And he tells, and he was so angry because it kept messing up his battle plans. And so he sends a whole army for one prophet. All he's got is Elijah's mantle. They show up and the servant of Elisha goes out and goes, oh my Lord, look, we're, we're done, we're done. And Elijah, with those same eyes, he says, Lord, open his eyes. And he looks around and there were chariots of fire and fiery horses. I don't know what that is. It's angels. It's cool. It's obviously more powerful than they are. And he said, let him know, Lord, that there's more that are, say it with me, for us than there are against us. These are the eyes that we have to have if you're going to receive the work of the Spirit. Because the Spirit's like the wind. 
You can't go after an experience because everybody's experiences are different. You can't go after uh, uh, controlling him. I can't make the Holy Spirit do something. We pray the vineyard prayer. It's an ancient prayer of come Holy Spirit, but I can't make him come. I can welcome him. I can hunger for him. I can yield to him as he comes, but I can't manufacture the wind. I can't manufacture the Some churches try that. And, and I love what Elisha does after he's told about this in verse uh, 11. He says, as they're walking along, talking together, suddenly a chariot of fire and horses of fire. What is that? Some people, oh, it's a UFO. No, it's a chariot of fire and a horse of fire from God, not a UFO. No, alien walk off, Elijah, you're coming with us. Oh, most people, I feel so sorry for people like that. They're just, you know, they spend their time in riddles and, and, and you know. But on the other hand, I don't know what it means. But I can tell you this. When Jesus left, there were a lot of people around there that didn't see him go up. And I don't know what they saw, but if Elijah got a chariot, can you imagine the, the maybe not on an earthly being able to see it by the disciples. Can you imagine the welcome for Jesus? The, you know, after World War II, I love seeing the pictures of the ticker tape parades in New York and the, the ticker tape just falling down like snow and honoring these veterans that sacrificed. And the, Think of Jesus. Think of Jesus coming home. What kind of welcome would it have been? How many chariots? Which horse is he going on? And just to think, a side note, he had the thief going with him on the cross. He said, today, you'll be with me in paradise. And so there's this whirlwind that comes and takes Elijah away. He's gone. No matter what do you call it, it didn't die physically. Well, he was transformed. He had to be to go into the presence of God. He was transformed. We see him later show up on the Mount of Transfiguration in the New Testament, and somehow, uh, Peter and John knew that he was Elijah. I don't know. Did he have a name tag? I'm Elijah. Did he say? They knew it was Mo. I don't know. He, you know. So I can tell you what, though. He didn't have this with him. He didn't get to take this home. It didn't belong to him. It wasn't his. It was God's to give. And as he goes up and he ascends up, Elisha cries out in verse 12, and Elisha saw this. Remember he said, if you see me, my father, my father, the chariots and horsemen of Israel. Elisha saw him no more. Then he took hold of his own clothes and tore them apart. What's he doing here? He's getting ready to pick this up. And this doesn't go with this. I'd tear it, but it's way too expensive for a shirt. I spent more for this shirt than I did my first car. It was a cheap car, and it was a lot of years ago, but I couldn't imagine you'd ever spend that. What? You spent that much as a shirt? Man, man. He tore it. If I'd have thought ahead, I, I would have had plenty of shirts that would have been easy to tear. There's ones that my wife wants me to tear. Do you guys have that battle where the wife says, no, no, get rid of that? I'm like, no, that's like my favorite shirt. You look horrible in it. You can't even hardly button it anymore in the thing. And, yeah, but I like that shirt. Let me tell you what you do. Get rid of the shirt. 
I've learned that. Again, these are lessons learned out of a lot of pain. <laughs> Stupidity. If your wife doesn't like the shirt, don't wear it. And if your friends think it looks good and your wife doesn't, who are you married to? I always love it when one of the guys makes fun of one of my shirts that either my wife or daughter buys for me, and they make fun of it, and I look at what they got on, and I go, you must have a nice shirt. Because they're going, oh, look at that shirt. You look like a blah, blah, blah. I'm like, have you looked in the mirror lately, buddy? Maybe you ought to try a wardrobe change. I used to have a lady in the church, Jane. She played the organ. God bless her. She's in heaven. Everything I, didn't, everything I did she didn't like, I knew it was a confirmation. Do it. I grew a mustache. She hated the mustache. I don't want a pastor with a mustache. Do you know what I did? I grew a goatee. She hated the goatee. I knew it was, it was in style because she hated it. I never let the secret out of the bag. Do you like this, Jane? No, I don't like that. Yes. All right. It's good. She was old. What do old people know? Like me. I don't know. I was her age. Now, that was then. That was 45 years ago. Anyway. Tore his clothes. Basically, he's saying, what I got isn't what I need. If you don't do that, and you think it's just adding Jesus to what you've got, you don't understand what Jesus is promising. He's promising Peter, and James, and John. He's promising the disciples something they don't have. It's not something to add to what you have, make you better. It's to give you something you don't have, and that's his power. And again, it's not to feel powerful. It's to enable you to do the things he's called you to do with the grace and fruitfulness that comes only when God's hands on your life. And, and, and whether you're putting on that, that clothing of the Spirit to be a better husband or a better wife or a better employee, a representative of Jesus at work, but the difference is you got to tear you, tear your garment, tear your strength, your power, your gifting. It's not about you. Elisha, you'll never do what Elijah did dressed in what you wear. you got to get up, put on what he wore. And he left it behind. He didn't get to take it to heaven. Look what it says. He tore his clothes apart, verse 13. He picked up the cloak that had fallen from Elijah, went back, stood on the bank of the Jordan. He took the cloak or the mantle that had fallen from him. He struck the water with it. He said, where now? is the Lord God of Elijah. Did he go to heaven? No. When a man, Charles Swindoll said this years ago, he's a radio preacher, he pastors, he's a great author, but he said this statement, it's always stuck with me. He said, when a man or a woman of God dies, nothing of God dies. Now, that can apply to the person that died in the sense that they're still He's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's not the God of the dead. He's the God of the living. So in that sense, they haven't lost anything. But it's more applicable to those of us that are still left behind when somebody we've looked to, leaned on, trusted in as a spiritual leader, father, mentor, when they die, they don't get to take their anointing with them. When John Wimber that founded the vineyard died, I was at his memorial. I stood beside his casket, open. He had his blue jeans on, his white beard, his denim shirt, his Bible on his chest. Buried in the hope of the resurrection. He didn't get to bring the mantle 
with him. Because you don't need it. He's going to be with Jesus who sent the Spirit back. So when somebody in the kingdom of God dies, the enemy may feel he's won something, but instead of one John Wimber, there were hundreds of John Wimbers that came because God took parts of his mantle and he, I watched him do it. And, and there were a lot of vineyard pastors, including myself, that went through a horrible time after John died. Not depression, so to speak, though some did. It was a spiritual assault on the sons and daughters of our leader that he sheltered us from. You don't know when your mom and dad shelter you spiritually that take the warfare until you're out on your own. And now you realize, oh my goodness, it's hard out here. Yeah, you don't have mom and dad taking the bullets first when you're out on your own. The same, same thing is true spiritually. You get out from under a covering in a church, you want to be on your own, go be on your own. But you're on your own. I don't want to be on my own. I need covering. I want help. I don't want to be the point person. I have to be, but I don't want to. That doesn't mean you want to because you get shot first. You got the bullseye. Shoot the shepherd and scatter the sheep. It's a terrible, it's not fun, but it's wonderful when you pick up something that helps you be something you could never be in your own strength. I was never a good public speaker. I was nev- that was never my, my deal as a kid, even on the football team, on pep rallies, and one of the captains, I'd get up there and fumble through. I never, I've, I've, I've never taken for granted the ability to be able to preach the Word of God because I know where it comes from. It's a, it's a mantle that God gives. It doesn't make me a perfect man or it doesn't even make me a good man. There are plenty of people that preach the Word of God in an, with a mantle that they're a mess. They're a mess. It's, it's, it, if anything, this teaches us, this is keep your eyes on where it comes from, the Spirit of God. Not, it's not about Elijah, and it's not about Elisha. It's about the God who sends his Spirit. Amen? It's about Jesus that says, I want to send my Spirit on my church. And we say, come, Holy Spirit. What if you got up tomorrow morning after God raises the dead and gets you out of bed, nine alarms later, and you actually make a commitment to get up a little earlier tomorrow because you want to get up and spend some time with the Lord and you want to get dressed for the day. And you're going to put on the Holy Spirit. And you're going to say, Holy Spirit, I want to be clothed with you today to do whatever the Father's called me to do, whether whatever work, parenting, school, whatever it is that you've got to do. I put on Jesus to go into my day. That's a choice. And it's something that will get fought against you doing because good stuff comes out of it. And I would say this, that God honors hungry children that say, I want my birthright. He, he, I want the Holy Spirit that you promised me. I want the Holy Spirit. If you, if you don't, you won't. Elisha could have just left that laying on the ground and said, you know, I'm good. I'm good. I'm okay. I'm good. You know, got my sins forgiven. Going to heaven. Doing pretty good here. I get some words from now and then. I, I'm good. I'm good. Because when he picked that up, 
everything changed. It's like, I'm all in. I'm going to do what the Father has for me to do. When he cracked that water and said, where is the Lord God of Elijah? The water parted. And he said, I'm right here. When Jesus went to heaven and sent his spirit back, when we say, where is the Lord Jesus? We smack the water in the name of Jesus. He says, I'm right here by my spirit. I ain't gone anywhere. He went to heaven so he could come back in the power of the spirit. That's Pentecost. And we're going to celebrate it next week. I'm going to invite the band to come on back up. And I want us to, if you would, just to stand with me. <clears throat> I want to have a, a prayer together. Then we're going to worship. I want to just this morning, just, just pray with me for a moment. Just stand and let's pray. You're watching online. Or, before you focus on whether you want a, more of the Holy Spirit, you got to first know that you belong to Jesus. You can't claim an inheritance unless you're family. And you can't be family unless you're born into the family. You say, what do you mean, Jamie? Well, it's not about being religious. It's not about cleaning up your life. It's about inviting Christ to come be Lord of your life. If you've not done that, you can't start claiming his promises and his inheritance because you've got to be part of the family. So if you're here watching online or here today and you're not sure where you are with the Lord, you can simply settle that by faith today by saying, Jesus, come be Lord of my life. Just invite him. Jesus, come be Lord of my life. Just ask him to forgive your sins. and to, That's why he died. That's why he rose again. So that he could bring new life. Just welcome him. Jesus, come. Be Lord of my life. Ask him. Whisper it to him. And then thank him. He hears your cries. He hears your cries. And many of us have, have done that. In a moment, we're going to sing a song. And we're going to invite the, the Holy Spirit to come in a fresh way on us. To visit us to be among us, to be welcome at the vineyard. So I just pray that your heart will be hungry. and Even this week that you'll seek after more of him. Read second, the book of Acts, chapter 2, second chapter of Acts. Just spend time. What would it have been like then? And then say, Lord, do it again. Come, Holy Spirit. Take over this time in Jesus' name.